Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Dave Pag on the line. Dave, how are you? Good, Mike. Thanks for having me. How you been? I've been really, really good. Really looking forward to this conversation, especially for you know two individuals. And obviously, you've been born and raised in in the South Side of Chicago. And you know, I spent uh, several years of my early career in that wonderful, wonderful area. So, uh, for those that don't know you, want to share a little bit about you, and then we'll dive into the conversation. Sure, Mike. And hey, remember, you're always welcome to come back to us home. We'll, we'd love to have you back in the neighborhood for sure. Uh, Dave Pygon here, and uh, I am uh, president and founder of Pygon One Consulting. I am a born, bred, raised Chicagoan. We grew up on the south side of Chicago, took a little U-turn out to the, the suburbs for a little while and uh, came back now. And I'm living in uh, the South Loop, which downtown area. The businesses run out of this area as well, and uh, just uh, always, I call home Chicago because it's always been home, Mike. I've never left here other than on vacation, so I'm a little bit of a unicorn in that regard, but uh, we love it here, and we enjoy it, and raise the kids here. They're all out of college now, working in downtown Chicago as well, so that's a little bit about my background, at least from where uh, from live and all that kind of good stuff. That's great. Yeah, I used to work at 200 South Wacker, and yeah, I you know right right across the street from we'll call it Sears Tower. I know it's going by a different name, uh, Willis, yes. which is fine, but uh, it's still yeah, it's still weird to call it something different. But no, it's it's one of those. It, it's such an amazing city, and I loved my time there, and have been back there from time to time on speaking engagements or, or whatnot. And it's always one of those things where I, I see the dramatic, you know, growth, you know, even in an, in a quote unquote old city like Chicago, still, you know, innovating growth, you know, new buildings, you know, new opportunities. And of course out in the suburbs exploding because it's, it's a central hub for, you know, the country and it's, it's such an important, important place to work. And yes, it, it, it's rare for people that, you know, are born someplace to stay in that place. So many of us, you know, decided, well, let's, let's go out here, go there, go there. And I've, you know, I'm definitely one of those people, you know, that left the Detroit area and, and went all over the place. I'm hitting all the original six NHL cities. So the last one is Montreal. Although my brother, went there this past weekend uh, on a little trip. So, um, you know, he, he beat me there, but I haven't done any work in Montreal, but I've pretty much worked or lived in five of the six original six NHL cities. So it's, it's pretty cool experience to be able to say that, but so let's talk about your book. You got an amazing book out. So why don't you share a little bit about that? Sure. Sure. Mike, first I have to ask, is it the Montreal Canucks? Canadians. Canadians, darn it! I was, Van, I was going Van, to my- Vancouver's got the Canucks, but they're not original six. They came into the league in '67, I believe. Got it. Okay, thank you. Uh, so the book, "Win the 16 Principles and Strategies to Op- Optimize Your Day," 
uh, thank you for the nice kind words as well, Mike, because we launched there right in the early uh, part of May. And I didn't know this, so I don't want to seem braggadocious that I, I know all these different things. But in doing research for writing a book, because this is my first book, I was studying about Mark Twain. Not that I am in the same ballpark with him, but I was trying to learn from just different writing styles. And he said two things that resonate, and it goes to the, into the really the crux of the book. And that is, he said, write what you know. And what you write is who you will become even more. And when the 16 is really based on how I live my life. When the 16 is, we have 24 hours in our day. Even for those tough women and men out there who believe I don't need sleep and I can muscle through it. The data just supports. And I was one of those people in the day. Sleep is good for us. It's good for our brain. It's good for our bodies. No matter the age, even the kids, it is just critical. Seven to nine hours is a general comment. Everybody's a little bit different in that regard. So I split the difference and I went with eight. That would be a solid number. So how I came up with when the 16 is, you have 16 hours or 960 minutes in your day to optimize. That's your time to be your best self. And I don't mean just working. This is your personal as well as your mind and your body that you've got 16 hours to work with starting right out of the day, which is, to me, I think pivotal. And I tell all my clients this. I don't preach much often, Mike. I try to do a lot of listening and asking questions, but I am adamant about this. Trying to win your day by 10 a.m., knocking down a few of those goals, priorities. If you can do that by 10 before the unforeseen challenges hit you, clients call, family members, whoever it might be, peers, that if you can get off to that kind of good start, you've got a better chance to optimize your day instead of just having a busy day, because those are two different things. Yeah, I am a big, big advocate for planning your day, having your goals that you want to accomplish. You may not accomplish them all. Don't overload it and say, I'm going to accomplish 15 things today. Well, if they're one-minute exercises, okay, you probably could. But uh, for me, it's like, okay, what, you know, what do I want to tackle today? And for me, I have themes for every one of my weekdays. You know, Mondays, I tend to do a lot of research and reaching out for uh, speaking opportunities, you know, calling and having follow-up calls with event planners and you know, going on speaking engagements and whatnot. Tuesdays tend to be intro and follow-up calls and and whatnot and research. Wednesdays are usually my podcast day, but because I haven't been recording in a while, it's like, okay, I got to open up some slots because the Wednesdays would fill up all the way till the end of the year. So it's like, okay, let's, let's do some different days. Thursdays and Fridays, I don't schedule anything. That doesn't mean I don't do things, but I don't schedule ahead of the time. What I do is anything that comes up Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, then it creates opportunities on Thursdays and Fridays to have that second call or an introduction to another person. Okay, let's let's chat on Thursday because a lot of people are like, well, wow, are you available? It's like, no, I just I keep Thursdays and Fridays open for things that come up or opportunities. And I found that has worked out really well for me. So I know 
when I you know wake up and I go, okay, what day is it? All right, I already have an idea of okay what my day should look like. Of course, you know this as everybody else does. Things happen, and uh, so you adapt accordingly. And that's when you have your list of things to work on that may not get done over a period of an hour or two, or maybe a longer term project where you can say, okay, well, it looks like I got a couple hours here. Why don't I tackle that online course that I'm working on with you know, a third party and, and getting all those materials you know, a little bit closer to getting them so they can publish it on, on their system and all of that, those types of things. So you have something to do. Uh, but again, I'm, you know, like you said earlier, and I'm glad that you did was it's not like you got 16 hours. Okay. Let's just pack it full of work. No, you need to have some relaxation, some self-care, some me time, some put on the socks game or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever you like doing, uh, make sure you do that in those 16 hours, because if you're just working, you're going to be too tired and too worn out and not sleep well, and you're not going to be able to enjoy those things. Yes, and you you have the Warren Buffett philosophy at the end of your week uh, when you ever read about Mr. Buffett because I don't want to say Warren like I know him, but Mr. Buffett says he leaves time in his calendar wide open to think and to do things he needs to do in his calendar. I know many people listening today are going to be like, "That's not the life I live." I'm a customer service representative. I'm a teacher, but I think your point and his point is. Wherever you can plan some creative or think time or catch up time, it will get you on the ultimate path of optimizing your day to the best of your ability instead of, and I, and I communicate this all the time, everybody's busy. The question is, how do we change that a little bit and reframe it is not just being busy, how do we be maximizing the opportunity of productivity, of being on the offensive on our priorities more often than on other people's priorities or checking boxes? We all have to do it sometimes, but if we could move it up more, we'd have more optimization in our daily lives and productivity. Yeah, I'm a big fan of being productive. You know, so when people say, oh, you're busy, it's like, no, I'm being productive. I, I tend to try to be avoid busy. I don't I don't want to be busy. I want to be productive with my time. And if I'm not being productive, then it's a uh, okay, put on the parking brake. Let's take a survey and you know, using you know Buffett's, you know, think time. It's like, okay, what what's going on here? You know, why am I in this particular rut or mindset or you know did something derail me this week or am i thinking about a conversation that i had and i'm carrying that through everything and so it's a it's a thing to be mindful of what you're dealing with and sometimes if you take a step back and this is you know a conversation i had with my spouse the other day um, she was at work and a colleague of her was really racking their brain trying to find this error in a spreadsheet. And you know, my wife said, go outside for 20 minutes, just get away from that screen and just you separate You take a break. Don't think about it. Just go do something. Came back and literally within a couple of minutes found the error because they were just so overwhelmed with it and frustrated and mad that you know they couldn't see it it was it was clear as day if they were 
in a clear state of mind, their cognitive ability and all of that good stuff, um, they would have seen it right away. And again, that goes back to what you said earlier about you know the importance of sleep. It's so critically important because I know McKinsey and studied or McKinsey and Company did a study a while back on sleep and productivity of leaders and cognitive ability, relationships, pattern recognitions, everything gets impacted by that sleep. So it's really important that you get the best sleep possible so you can maximize those 16 hours to your benefit. And I don't have a, I don't have a study at Pygon 1. What I do have, though, is that I see it in my book, Win the 16. I know me. And Mike, I'm just better. My own clinical trial. I am better at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon when I get a good night's sleep. I get my workout in. I get my ticker and do all my habits. And my energy is still high and is still going strong at 2, 3, and 4. And I always warn my clients out there, your competitors are tough. They're good. They're talented. They're competitors, right? They're out there trying to do the same thing. If you're not at your best or as good as you can be at two or three o'clock, you are giving them a competitive advantage if they're doing all these other things. So that's the whole thing. Like I know you're grunting through it. I respect the toughness. I respect the work ethic, but that is probably not optimal. The other thing I uncovered, and I'll be curious what your thought is on Mike. I didn't know this until I wrote the book. I didn't know I have a more creative time during the day than other times. I guess, Mike, I never really thought about it, but I'm a high energy, passionate guy. I'm usually passionate until I just hit the bed and fall asleep. That's kind of how I roll. I'm lucky in that regard. But I realized in writing the book, my most creative time when I really needed to be creative, I could write any time of the day or even night. But when I had to have content of some creative thoughts, I'm better in the morning. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I am up at 5 a.m. and I follow a pretty, I don't want to say strict routine, but it's it's, it's pretty formulated. You know, wake sure. up, um, you know, I make breakfast. Um, sometimes I'll eat breakfast then, sometimes I don't. It That varies, but um, I get in my exercise in the morning and you know, I'll check email and, and see what's going on and, and flag anything I need to address, but everything else is like, okay, I'm gonna be working on that after I'm done with my workout and and then I'm into it. And whether it's writing articles and or doing the work or anything like that, same thing. I, the morning I'm I'm so much better at it. Like if I had to look at spreadsheet stuff later on this afternoon, I could do it, but you know, the brain's not wired to necessarily look at it. So I know, and I'm, you know, congratulations on discovering that for you is there are times that I am creative. And sometimes there may be some mornings where it's like, I'm not feeling today. It's like, okay, what can you do? And again, that's why you have things that you can work on where, you know, article writing, for example, there are some Saturday mornings where I'm like, I get into a flow and I'm like, I'm going to, brush out, you know, a handful of articles here and, you know, save them as drafts and then do the additional research, add links, whatever I need to do, but get those done because the, the juices are flowing. I'm like, okay, let me write about this. Okay. I'm seeing this or conversation, or even sometimes could be something as silly as a LinkedIn post that somebody put. And it's like, you know what? I have a perspective on that. 
And it's actually worth writing an article about instead of just commenting on, on the thing. So again, it's, it, it's understanding how you operate and also a thing that I've done as well, kind of going back to those theme days where if you can batch similar types of work together, then you're using, you know, that part of your brain that is heavily used on that work. So you're not bouncing between, you know, the both sides of the brain trying to do things and shifting gears, which takes time to do it. And of course, with interruptions, we know what that does to people. It throws you off. So there's, there's a lot of little, what I like to call life hacks that help you really get productive and maximize your time. So you accomplish more in less time. And I think when people do that, it really maximizes those 16 hours because you know, you're, you're getting a lot more done and, and it's not taking you as long because you've got systems and all your tools and resources in place to be able to do your work. Amen. Amen. I have a whole chapter on time management and why our time management's not great sometimes as well as tips. And one of the items that I want to throw out there, we all have to get better at saying no. That's no to other people as well as saying no to certain activities that, um, because what I find with people who told me that, Hey Dave, yeah, I want, I want, I want the team or I want the organization or my group or even myself, I'm coaching. I want to, I want to work on this, this time management because I, I'm not getting done and the whole thing. And usually what we find more often than not is one, they might be doing other people's jobs or responsibilities at work and at home. For those that have kids, they're doing things that kids should be taking care of that they're doing. And I'm sure I did it as well when my guys were little. With that said, though, that ability to say no, as well as that ability to say, people, I know are busy and they have nine things. And some of them I like to call check the box activities. To give you an example, Mike, somebody might have to do an expense report for work. They've got to get it in. It's due next week. They just want to get it off their plate. I get it. We're all there. But sometimes we have to have that discipline to say, you know, I got to put that aside because I need time on my own development, the things that I want to work on. I need time to maybe have some time for thought or like what your wife did. And I want to pat, I pat her on the back. Maybe I just want to go outside the office and take a walk for 10 minutes to get my mind thinking, or maybe I need time to think about my career. And so many times I know there's people out there like, oh, I can't do that. I would challenge you to say, it's not that you can't do it. It's you won't do it. You can, you just haven't tried it. And you might find there might be a litany of things that come from that, that help you in your journey to be your best self, your professional career and your personal life. You know, that's one of the things that I love is when you start doing this work on yourself, you start discovering more things about yourself and you find it's almost, I don't want to say addictive, but it, or at least it is to me where it's like, okay, what else, what areas else of my life can I fine tune? It's, it's constantly tinkering going, okay, well, let me try this. Maybe if I switch to this or if I set up the room this way in my work, 
what are the things that I'm constantly grabbing or needing in my workers, you know, or my desktop or, you know, especially in a, you know, virtual world where a lot of people are working remotely still. Okay. What do I need to make sure that I can be as effective as I possibly can be without being in the office? And okay. If I'm in the office, make sure that I have access to everything because of, especially in this, you know, for people that are doing the hybrid thing, it's like two different, you know, worlds, unless they're using the same laptop, then not as much, but in many cases, they're using a laptop at home, they got a desktop at work and like, oh, my file's not there or this or that. It's like you figure out some systems to make it easier for you just to flow. So it's it's kind of like a situation where you're like, okay, I'm going to stick my hand in the river and I'm going to pull out a fish. And I wish fishing was that easy. It isn't. But you know, you know it's like, I just do it. This is the time I do it and I'll be able to get it. You know, same thing with, you know, working on different things. Okay, I need to work on this project. I need that template. Here's this. And you just you just have it. You know, it's called reducing the friction and, and eliminating those areas. Okay. Because when you do that, you flow. And when you flow, it's not that, oh, now I got to go do this. Okay, I got to go over here. Or I got to walk over here. If you don't have to do that, it makes it so much easier. And guess what? You accomplish more. And all of a sudden you've got that momentum and you're like, okay, you feel like, all right, what else can I tackle? It, it gives you that little, little bit of boost. And I find when I get that, it's like, I have to you know, check with myself. It's like, okay, don't overwhelm yourself. Check and make sure this is actually something you should be working on. Or do you want to take this time for reflection? A company I used to work for many, many years ago, one of the few companies in my career that did this, and it was, uh, but any company that I ran afterwards, I made sure we did this was at the end of every project, we would bring the project team together and then a handful of people that were on other projects that weren't on our project at all. And we'd have a debrief meeting. What went well? What didn't? What are some areas of improvement? And then we brought in the outsiders for some input on things that they did from their projects that might have made it better. And what by doing that over a period of time, we improved things to the point where we were able to take on or increase about 20% of the number of projects we were taking without bringing on additional staff because we found efficiencies. Obviously, headquarters was quite pleased with that, a 20% improvement without spending on extra human capital. And we just because we found efficiencies, there were things that we were doing. And we said, let's streamline this template. Let's do this because it's not giving us the same results. Let's do this. So just having those conversations and and having the clarity to be able to see through it, um, it made such a big difference. And you can do that as an individual as well. Yes. Yeah, Mike, you hit a lot there. It's deep stuff that people to put their arms around is First off, for doing what you what you said, you need to have the environment and the culture for that to happen. Because as you were saying that, I I've worked with organizations where some people, as soon as they're done with the project, they won't. It was hard to even get them to celebrate the victory. Because I'm a huge proponent, and in Win the Sixteen, I'm adamant about that. I'm like, I don't care how small the win is. I'll give you an example. Let's say you don't exercise. Let's say you don't walk outside. And for five straight days, you get up 10 minutes early and walk outside for 10 days. Or excuse me, five days in a row for 10 minutes. Kudos to you. That should be a little celebratory pat on your own back 
Uh, what you were doing, you were, your debriefs, you, you obviously created a culture and an environment where, hey, we're going to celebrate this project completion. We're going to talk about what was so well, as well as some opportunities. And to no one's fault, we're going to learn from this. But everybody, slow down. I don't want you thinking about what the next one is. I want you to stay focused on this. Because I came from environments, everybody, some of them would barely celebrate. And you you would have to change the culture. You'd have to change them, their environment because they're already so gung-ho on the next one, on the next one, instead of slowing down to move two steps faster down the line. So kudos to you for getting that done. Yeah, it's so critically important to celebrate. Um, and again, focus on what really went well. And it's like, okay, there's any opportunities for us to use what we learned to make this so well for the next one. And uh, all of a sudden, you, your team starts inputting more because they see things that we won't. You know, one of my you know interview I did several years ago was with Roger Nirenberg, a former conductor of the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. And he's a leadership consultant now. And what he does is he goes into organizations and he brings a small orchestra with him and they play music. And he has the team and the leaders and all that kind of good stuff in the pit that they set up with the musicians. And of course, when they first start, they sound like a a fourth grade band in September. They're just, it doesn't sound good. But then they get all, you know, all the instruments uh, playing in in the right order and and the music sounds really good in, in the pit. And then what he does is he brings up a group of people at a time up on the conductor podium and he has the orchestra play the music again same notes same everything they don't change a thing and the awareness of it is how dramatically different it sounds from the conductor's point of view than it does down in the pit and he said he said that's a great leadership analogy it's like what happens down in where a lot of the work is happening looks different and sounds different down there than it does up here and it goes both ways so understanding that dynamic you get input because people are going to see things you're not going to see and you're going to see things that they don't see but having that dialogue open and opportunities really makes organizations thrive and the really great organizations do that they don't even think about it they just it's just part of their dna and those are the organizations i always love hearing about yes like how is i will say this now i am so i don't want to say focused adamant that when I talk with people that aren't focused on their development or focused on getting better, change agility, learning in organizations too, and I hear, which is the reality of it, is it's excuses, I, I just think to myself, wow, I really need to connect somehow with this person or with this organization as I'm listening to them, because they, they would skyrocket if they would give it a chance, like an authentic chance, and they don't see it. So I don't look down at them, and I don't think they're crazy. I understand how complicated and complex the world is getting, and time is getting pulled at these people. I look at it, and I just think to myself, boy, if you just dive in and swim a little bit in this, these waters, like authentically, not just a hey, once a year, we're going to do a meeting and talk. Boy, they would skyrocket individually 
and corporately. And I know you're nodding your head. So I, I thought I'd throw that back at you on that one. Yeah, I agree. And when I run into organizations that are very resistant to the C word change, um, I, I remind them of this stat that I saw not too long ago. Um, and I used to use a different stat from the 1960s, but I thought I found a up, more updated one from basically the year 2000. 52% of the Fortune 500 companies in the year 2000 are either gone or were acquired. 500 of the top companies on the planet gone or were acquired. So if you're not constantly improving both your leaders, your teams, yourself as an executive and your a company, the odds are against you that you're going to survive. You might be you might have you know, a corner of the marketplace that no one else plays in and you can kind of coast along and do things. But that it's even then think innovation and we're seeing it all the time. You know, things are getting eliminated. I was at a conference several years ago um, that indicated and this was in 2018. I think I attended this. So they said that, you know, by the year 2030, that, you know, quarter of the jobs that exist today won't. And it's not because of economic downturns or recessions or anything like that. They, those jobs just won't exist because there's been advances. You know, we hear about AI, we hear about all the other things. It's just those jobs will no longer be required. So people need to, you know, educate themselves on what is needed. How do I serve humanity? How do I serve my community? What are the skills that are in demand right now? Learn them. Go to YouTube University. It's free. You can pick up a lot of things there, um, and just you know, just you know, pick those things up. Find something you're interested in. Grow from it. Learn it, and and never stop learning. And that's you know, it's been my mantra: just to keep on educating myself on the latest and new things that interest me. And as I've gotten older, pushing myself out of my boundary and going, okay, let's learn some things that I wouldn't necessarily explore but let let's go look at it and see if there's an interest there or maybe an opportunity so it's just you know never stop learning continue to grow and educate your team and um if you do then you'll be one of those 48 percent that'll still be around yeah exactly two things i want to say in that i was thinking uh about these companies that i i want to say to all the executives and leaders out there business owners what Mike and I are talking about, we're not saying it's easy to change. <laughs> and we're not saying that your success that you're doing right now should not be applauded and viewed as amazing. We are. We agree with that. What we are saying is you don't want to be the next blockbuster. I believe there's only one left in Bend, Oregon. They had the opportunity to buy Netflix, if I recall correctly, $50 million. And now Netflix's multi-billion dollars organization, you don't want to be them. And I can only imagine, my brother and I, we talked on my podcast about this. I can imagine what it must have been like being the executives, those women and men in the boardroom at Blockbuster who were saying, wait a minute, if we dive into some of this stuff, it's going to take directly off our revenue and our profit. 
I get that. I understand I understand why they didn't evolve. The only challenge is as people continue to go on down that wrath, the data you just said is saying it's 50-50. You're going to be able to do what you do later. The other thing you had mentioned about experiences, and that was such a great point, Mike. I always like to talk to clients and organizations or individuals, work on your career portfolio, not a career path. Those are different. Career path is just linear, I go up. Problem with career paths are you get a new boss, your career path sometimes gets changed. Uh, a career path, the job changes. And now you've been working on this one job and now it no longer exists or there's only one or two positions for 30 people going for career portfolio is what you're talking about. That's about getting all these experiences for the job of tomorrow and next week. And that's why I love having that conversation because that is motivating and inspiring for people that, hey, as your manager, leader, executive, whatever, I want to go on this journey with you of getting you experiences. Because I got to tell you, I don't necessarily know where the world's going to look like in six months, year, or three years from now, but you need more experiences. And we can talk about what we think that might be, right? We can critical thinking, problem solving, uh, this AI, having some knowledge of that. Those are all things. So I, I love where you were going with that, Mike. We are aligned on that 100%. That's awesome. Yeah. It's again, always continue to look for opportunities for personal and professional growth and uh, it will help you be able to navigate uncertainty and changing times, no matter what happens. So Dave, I've loved this conversation. Where can people find out more about you, this amazing book and all this great work you're doing? Sure. Well, I'll start with the book, Win the 16 Principles and Strategies to Optimize Your Day. It is on Amazon. So they can get it right there. I'm partnering with them. So they will be more than happy to ship that right out to you. And um, you can reach me at pygon1.com. That's P-Y-G-O-N-O-N-E.com, pygon1.com. And I'd love to hear from you. Love to have a discovery conversation on anything. So we're we're always open and looking forward to meet some more great people because I'll just leave this, Mike. There's a lot of great people out there. Uh, we'd like to work with any and all of you. And those of you out there who might be feeling like you're a little overwhelmed or maybe not where you want to go, we love talking to you too. We're in this together. That's amazing. So I definitely have all that in the show notes. So Dave, love this conversation. Thank you again and, and be well. You too, Mike. Thank you. All the best. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.